Our scripture this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2. We began the reading at verse 1 in our uh, shared reading near the beginning of the service, and now I'll continue reading, actually um, rereading a couple of the verses and then not reading a couple of the verses that are in your bulletins. Um, I'll be reading verses 8 through 18. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift from, of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So, did any of you win the gift-giving game? You, do you know what I mean? The, you were the one that gave the gift that was the one that was most appreciated. Did any of you win? Yeah, some people, um, like, if you have nieces and nephews, for example, you ask, what should we give? our niece or our nephew, and, and mom or dad gives you an idea, but they know very well that your gift will not be the gift that wins because they can't tell you to give the gifts that wins. They have to be the one that gives the gift that wins, right? And what about, did any of you get a gift from someone that you didn't expect to get a gift from and you had that horrible realization that they gave to you, but you didn't give to them? And the whole idea of Christmas reciprocity was ruined because of you. There's a devotional I mentioned um, a couple weeks ago uh, that is very helpful to me. I have it right here. I'll show it to you. It's a Watch for the Light. And in here, there is a, a devotional by uh, William Willimon who says that he believes that we get more of the secular Christmas spirit from Charles Dickens than we do from the Gospel of Luke, which tells the Christmas story. Because, he says... We learn in the Christmas Carol from Ebenezer Scrooge that even the nastiest, the most miserly, the most selfish person can be changed into someone who's willing to give. And we hear it over and over again. Giving is the spirit of Christmas. You go into the mall and you can give money to the Salvation Army, even as you go in to buy presents to give to your family and friends. Christmas is the spirit of giving, we're told. 
But what Williman points out is that Christmas, scripturally, is not the spirit of giving. It's the spirit of getting, the spirit of receiving. And that's why I entitled this message today, "'Tis Better to Receive." And let me explain. Oscar Romero writes this, "'No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, look down on others, those who have no need even of God, for them there will be no Christmas.'" Only the poor, the hungry, those in need, someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God, Emmanuel, God with us. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. Why do we need to receive? And what do we need to receive? Uh, a commentator I really appreciate named Stan Mass writes, about it this way. He talks about the fall of humanity, our, our, the fact that there's sinfulness in humanity now and we're not uh, the way God created us to be. And he said, we can look at that in a few different ways. First, maybe, maybe it's like the fall is like a physical fall and we break an ankle or a leg or something and we're on crutches. Crippled to one degree or another, he says, with some help, we are able to do what we must do to be saved. And there are many people who believe this way, that God helps those who help themselves, and if you do enough, that God will finally say, okay, you've done enough, now you're forgiven. Or maybe the fall didn't really impact us all that much. It just pulled us back a little bit, and by human effort, we can regain what we've lost. And he says that's sort of the image of someone climbing a ladder uh, and the person climbing the ladder to their own goodness and their own strength, getting better as we evolved, and even, even um, all of humanity can be seen as climbing this ladder as evolution takes us to better and better places, and we participate in that by becoming better and better people. Humanism believes in this, and some Christians believe in humanism more than the gospel. The other way to look at it is that we're dead. We have nothing. We have absolutely nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to better ourselves to the point that we can be forgiven. So what is it? Crutches? Climbing? or a corpse. What does Paul say? At the beginning of the passage that we read earlier, Paul says, as for you, you were dead. People hate this. People hate this so desperately because people want to believe that they, especially, and maybe other people, some other people, are basically good that we're, they're a good person, and they, wanna, they just hold on to this idea, I'm a good person, I'm a good enough person, I'm not as bad as them and them and them, and, and I'm not as good as them and them and them, but I'm still, I'm a good person. And when we try to comfort someone else in their weakness or in their trials or struggles, we say, well, you know, you're a good person. And the question that is begged by that assumption is, Good by whose definition? Good by whose standard? I might be good 
compared to some others. If I measure them by a certain standard, and usually I can set that standard myself, and I can say, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm better than a lot of people. And, and I get to say what makes me better than other people. Oscar Romero says if you're thinking that way, you're not getting it at all. At least you're not getting what the incarnation is all about. You're not getting why Jesus came into this world. Because if you're thinking that you're okay enough, if you're measuring yourself by your own standards or even the standards of your community and, and able to say, I'm a good person comparatively, and you measure your goodness by that standard, you're not getting it. Because God sets the standard. God sets the standard of goodness, and God's standard is so very high that none of us can reach it. We're not even able to understand the standard well enough to try to attain it. And then if we understand it, when we try to attain it, we fail. You are dead. And people say, oh, those people who believe this way, they're so grumpy. You know, we who are Presbyterians, most of us are Calvinists to one degree or another, and they say, Calvinists are so strict and mean and nasty. We're not, right? <laughs> and they say we're strict and mean and nasty, maybe in part because we believe that we're dead. We believe that we're so broken that we can't earn our way. And people who want to believe that they can earn their own way are disgusted by this. But let me tell you something. If you truly believe that you were dead, look at that. You were dead, not you are dead. You were dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Jesus Christ. That will give you greater joy than any self-improvement effort ever could because it is in Jesus Christ that we are made right with God. It is in him by God's gift that we are made holy. By God's gift, we are given the peace of God in Jesus Christ. By God's gift, we are given joy. By God's gift, we are given a relationship with God that affirms the depths of our soul and tells us maybe not that we're so, so good, but that we are so, so loved, that we are so, so embraced, that we are so, so accepted. It is by God's gift. And if you're trying to earn that gift, you don't understand what getting a gift is all about. William Willimon, in his devotional, says that he suggests that we are better givers than getters, not because we are generous, but because we are proud, arrogant people. The Christmas story is not about how blessed it is to be givers, but how essential it is to see ourselves as receivers. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors, says this, when we accept the truth of ourselves shipwrecked and then saved, our lives are henceforth anchored to the rock who is Christ, not the shifting sands of our fickle feelings. Another story is told of St. Francis and Brother Leo who are walking on a beach one day, 
And um, Leo was in a depressed state speaking about how he felt disconnected from God and discouraged in his walk with God. And Francis said, well, how can you, how can you fix that? And Brother Leo said, well, I have to do better. I have to, do, I have to stop the habits that I know disappoint God, and I have to do better in my, my time with God. I have to do better in my service to God. I have to do better in my readings. I have to do better in my prayers. And St. Francis said, if you feel like that, you will never, ever feel better because you will never, ever do enough to meet the standard that is set for you. The only way, he said, to know and to have a clear conscience before God is to receive, is to receive what Jesus Christ has done, is to receive the gift of faith and the gift of forgiveness. And Leo said, well, doesn't God want us to serve him? Doesn't God want us to do? And St. Francis said, yes, of course. But not as the basis for our salvation, not as a way to earn God's favor, but as a way to give thanks to God for all that God has done for us. That's why it says here in verse 10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But if you're trying to do those good works apart from knowing that you are forgiven, knowing that you are accepted, knowing that you are empowered by God to do those things, you will be frustrated. You were created to do good works. You were created to share the good news of the kingdom, to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. But not on your own strength and not in a way that you are trying to earn anything, but that you are giving thanks to God. I told this at the um, leadership training event we had yesterday. Uh, Rick Halver Richard Halverson, who was chaplain of the Senate, a pastor at Fourth Presbyterian Church, I think it was in Washington, D.C., uh, was a friend of a friend of mine. So two degrees of separation forever, whatever that's worth. And he was walking in an orchard with this friend of mine one time, and he said, now, look around you, look at the, the trees. Are they bearing fruit? And my friend said, well, yes, they are. I see apples on these trees and pears on those trees. And Halverson said, now, listen, listen carefully. What do you hear? My friend said, nothing. Halverson said, you mean you don't hear the trees saying, gotta make another apple I'm working hard to make this pear I'm really pushing to get this one to form on my branch no apple trees make apples pear trees make pears not because of huge effort by the trees but because of what is happening inside of them because of who they are if you are in Christ, the good works that God has for you, has prepared in advance for you to do, are going to be a natural outgrowth of who you are in Christ. And God, if you yield to him, will bear fruit through you. That's wonderful, wonderful news. And part of the story we have to tell is that story to the world 
we remind them, you know, you want to be good, and, you know, give them a little bit. You are good in a lot of ways. But if your standard is God, if your standard is pleasing God, don't even try, because you can't do it. But God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive in Jesus Christ. That's the message we have to share. I would say if anyone needs to come from Sunday school to be ordained or installed uh, as a, an elder, that this might be the time to text them. Okay, thank you. <laughs> to the rest of you, that means I'm almost done. <clears throat> Simon Tugwell said, Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of God is for children because they're innocent. Jesus says the kingdom of God is for children because they are incompetent. They know their need. If you know your need for a savior, then you are ready to receive what God has for you. And the thing is, this doesn't just happen once and done. We find ourselves as believers receiving Christ for our salvation at one point in our life, yes. But then, as we go through life, we have this tendency to go back to this idea that I have to earn something. And um, as I shared with the group yesterday, there were times in my life where I would have done something wrong and I said, God needs some space from me, so I would wait a couple days before I'd try to approach God. You look at me like, yeah, of course, why not? Because that is how we deal with some other people in our lives. We say, well, I'm really ashamed. I can't, I can't face them right now. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Jesus Christ. So now, whether it's been a month since you have embarrassed yourself or seven seconds since you've embarrassed yourself, God, who is rich in mercy, has his arms wide open to receive you. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you have to deserve God's grace because God's grace is free. So one more illustration. Imagine you're at the beach. Some foolish kid thinks that they can outswim the currents and dives in and sinks to the bottom. You're on shore. You have access to get to this person, and being the good person you are, you go in, you swim down, you find this person at the bottom of the ocean. What do you do? Do you say, get up, come on, you need to get to the shore? Or do you drag them to the shore in great mercy and grace and lay them out and then say, get up, start breathing. You need to get up. And, and in order to breathe, to get up, you have to breathe. Come on. Or do you see them pull them out, pull them onto the shore and start breathing for them through mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation? If you don't do the last one, you're not helping at all. So if our job as the church is to tell people how they can be better people, to tell people a pathway to feeling good about themselves, by themselves, by their own effort, 
we are utterly failing to save anyone. Because you were dead. We were all dead. Unable to save ourselves. But God, who is rich in mercy, reached to us through Jesus Christ and made us alive. This is the gospel. This is life in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.